Today, we're going to be continuing our conversations about security by talking with Arctic Wolf, a VC-backed managed security provider. So stay tuned. Welcome back to another Future Tech video podcast. The audio version of this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most of the others, or you can find it at futr.buzzsprout.com. Today, we're talking with Arctic Wolf CEO, Brian Nesmith. Now, Brian has been a fixture in the industry for quite a while. Prior to Arctic Wolf, Brian was CEO of Blue Coat Systems and Ypsilon Networks. Arctic Wolf is a rare venture-backed services company that has raised $350 million and is solving security challenges for small and mid-sized business with an eye towards the enterprise. Today, we're going to talk about the changing security landscape and how his team of security professionals solves for today's most difficult security challenges. Welcome, Brian. Yeah, pleasure. So, so tell me about... What what it was that you saw in the market that was missing that, you know, you, you decided to go through the crazy endeavor of being an entrepreneur and starting a company? What was the problem you were trying to solve? Yeah, I think anybody who starts a company, is, I think there's a little bit of insanity involved in any person that jumps into this because you just have to make a leap of faith in certain cases. The essence of it, if you go back to when we started back in 2012, uh, myself and my co-founder, uh, we had been you know, working at other companies and seeing other problems. And there were kind of some basic problems that we knew in the industry. So there's just, we just talked about timing and there's not enough security talent to go around for yeah. all the different problems that we see in our world. There was a more fundamental issue for us is that even with that talent, organizations structure struggle to have the discipline to do certain things all the time continuously. So, yeah. uh, and, and we saw those things and we realized, okay, there's an opportunity here to add value and then we could do it and build in such a way that we could fit with pretty much any type of corporation. So we, you know, early, early on realized that, hey, every company's different. You know, some people are really strict. Some are very loose. Some have big security challenges. Some are like, well, yeah, we got a few issues. And so we wanted to build something that we could meld into pretty much any type of organization, their security posture, recognize they don't have the talent or they may not have enough that they want and that we want to augment and help them achieve kind of a better cyber risk measure in their organization. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's, it's um, security is a really interesting space because it is a very challenging market um, because one, it's, it's hard to find enough talented people who, you know, have the depth of knowledge that it takes to, to do it. Um, but the other piece of it is it's a very fragmented market. When I look at the market, and we, we've been talking to a lot of different security companies, you see a lot of point solutions. And you see a lot of, um, of, 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 of things that are being gathering data, but it's not being aggregated effectively into actionable information. And this has been, you know, throughout the history of the security market, you know, people buy stuff. It's like, oh, I got to, I got to solve my security problem. I'll go buy a firewall or I'll go buy the SIM or I'll buy this. And then they put it in at great expense and great cost and labor. And then they don't have anybody who can do anything with it. Right. And that's why I think, you know, the managed solution is really an interesting space um, because, you know, we talk a lot about 
you know, somebody needs to come into the market and, and aggregate these products into some sort of more unified view of it. And we were talking to uh, John Thompson, who's the former uh, CEO of Symantec. And he said, you know, what his big play at Symantec was to sort of create this aggregation play to, um, you know, give a, a broad portfolio of security products. But I think that's kind of what you guys are doing, right? In, in a way, you, you know, you have access to all this information and you're kind of you know, correlating and, 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 and providing actionable information for people. I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think you kind of get into the essence of one of the security problems. Like we're, we're, uh, an industry that likes to highlight, if you would buy this thing, <laughs> put it into your network, you are safe. And we've been doing that for 20 plus years and people are still getting breached. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, I think a growing realization that you, you need those products. Don't get me wrong. Those are necessary elements. They're all tools that you use to make yourself more secure. But uh, generally speaking, the bulk of the breaches and reported problems were people that made mistakes in operations. They didn't configure it properly. They didn't update it appropriately. And that stuff, uh, one of my venture uh, guys on my board uh, like to highlight is uh, companies generally fall into two categories there. They solve a physics hard problem or they solve a diet hard problem. And we're solving a diet hard problem. So what we're doing, there is innovation on the tech stack, but what we're really doing is addressing the issue, which is when you're setting up and configuring things and making sure they're maintained appropriately is a never ending job. Yeah. Like you wake up every morning and you do it again and you wake up every, and you do it again. And, and most of the breaches are because people stop doing it after a while. Like this, well, I got bored of that. I'm not going to clean up the living room and then the, bad actors in and then next thing you know all the horrible things happen so uh yeah i i couldn't agree more i generally people ask me you know how could i improve my security posture i'm like you should just have a good backup strategy and you should patch very aggressively yeah and, and they're kind of shocked when i say that because i'm not saying go buy 10 other products i'm saying if you have a good backup strategy you can recover from most disasters and if you patch and set up appropriately, you've, you're better than 99.99% of people in the world. Yeah, and, and just use the tools you already have, too, is another... <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so, you know, there, there's been some really big breaches uh, and really um, significant breaches uh, in the news lately. Obviously, SolarWinds, you know, FireEye, Microsoft got popped. All these, you know, ostensibly security companies that should have been able to see this coming you know, got popped. And, and and I don't fault them for that because security is very difficult to do. And if you think that you're immune to it, you're, you know, very delusional, right? But it does, it does speak to um, the complexity of it that, you know, in some cases, I think they're saying, you know, up to upwards of 16 months of, you know, being inside of some of these networks. Um, it, it just, I think it just shows how, hard it is even for a security company to manage to this and um having the right kind of people in place to do that kind of uh assessment of of a network on a going ongoing basis is really really challenging even for the best of us right yeah i we see it time and again i mean it, it, we obviously the solar winds attack and then all the fallout that came following that um that what most people don't appreciate is the actors that are doing the attacking are sophisticated, they're persistent, uh, they're enabled by our industry. So there are a lot of tools that we talk about out there that people have built 
that make it much easier for a hacker to do things or mm-hmm. a bad actor. And, and so you see a lot of investment on that side of things. So there's a, it's what we in our, our part of the industry we call it's the weaponization of the attack vehicles. So we, you know, we walk out and we arm everybody with all these tools that, yes, we can use on the defensive side, but they can be used on the attack side. So, uh, yeah, it's I think we're just as an industry, we're is a growing realization that the problems are much more serious and, and the actors are much more aggressive and persistent. And it's kind of scary because the job never goes away. You always wake up the next morning and. And you have to kind of go in with the mentality that somebody's in my network. How do I find them? Yeah. Well, and I got to imagine <clears throat> you have customers who were impacted by the solar winds breach because it was very pervasive. Um, you know, supply chain attacks like this are really interesting because when you look at sort of the life cycle of, of the supply chain attacks, I mean, you, you sort of pop the, the locksmith, <laughs> right? And then you've got access to all, all their customers and then, you know, their customers may be similarly locksmiths for other customers, you know, like Microsoft got breached within this, the SolarWinds uh, breach. So, you know, the, the, the complexity of it is, is really significant, but this, the lasting effect of this is going to be really substantial. How are you, you know, as a, as a, a company that, you know, is, is, is doing these security services, how are you addressing, you know, some of those challenges? Yeah, I think the the part of it is that we, we're fortunate in one way is that we we built our own tech stack, so we have some control over what we're doing. So we you know we try to manage what we're doing from a third party standpoint and doing it. But we are dependent on you know part of our supply chain. You know we depend yeah. on AWS, we depend on Azure, we depend on uh, you know Salesforce. I mean, you kind of go through the list of tools that are common. Uh, and I don't have access to their native raw capabilities of yeah. what they've got going on there. That being said, I think that what you realize, and even in the solar winds case, that uh, the what was impressive about this attack is how patient they were. Yeah. So they 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 got the code in. They didn't do anything immediately at solar winds. They waited months, and then when they got it deployed into various customers' environments, they were also very patient. So uh, it was somebody with a a long you know had the big goal in mind over a long time frame. That's that's to me what makes that uh, interesting. You know. You know, clearly in an intellectual sense and scary and <laughs> in an actual sense. Uh, but yeah, what do we do? It's you have no choice but to basically, uh, in one way, be very suspicious of everything all the time yeah. and constantly relooking at it. Um, and then we try to put ourselves in the minds of the attackers. So if I was sitting on their side, how would I try to compromise us? And so we're fortunate in the sense that we blend uh, the security engineers with the, the technology. So we have a bunch of a whole team of people that are doing work on helping customers, but we also let those people do work where they, okay, why don't you go pretend to be the hacker and let's see what you can do. Uh, and can you penetrate us and can you get creative and how would you do that? And then therefore, what can we use to put in place to kind of how would we might see that sort of thing and understand what's happening there? Um, yeah, it's a, it's an arms race, a never ending battle, you know, from a business standpoint for us, it's a very positive thing. Uh, <laughs> But obviously, as an industry, I'm sure it's very frustrating for people that don't live this space. You know, can we not just be safe? <laughs> but there are answers, too. You can do things to uh, structure your infrastructure in ways where even if you do get compromised, it doesn't doesn't break everything. This whole idea of, you know, need to know and segmentation and breaking it up is it, you can you can be smart about it. I just think we've gotten away with it for a long time. And I think that's coming to an end every month, every quarter, something new comes up to 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, you're alluding to sort of the people problem, and you mentioned this earlier too. And you know, I've always found that, you know, if you look at most organizations, um, you know, eighty some odd percent of outages and problems are, you know, result of some sort of human error, right? And you know, when you, what you're talking about really is is coming in and taking a look at an environment and addressing some of the policies and procedural aspects of it, rather than the tool side of it, because right? I think. I think that's the piece that, you know, people want to, uh, they buy a tool and for a quick fix, but it's really the policies and procedures, you know, in general and around that tool that, that drive better security. I, I think, um, tell me a little bit about what you're advising your customers on the policies and procedures front. Yeah. I think that the, the in general hygiene is typically how people fail. So they, they don't keep things patched. They don't maintain things. Um, but, but in their defense, it's really easy to make a mistake. Yeah. Like, you know, you see the best companies in the world with the smartest people in the world. You know, I, if you go watch the outages from Zoom or Microsoft or Amazon or, you know, any of the big internet providers, you know, we, it's, it's kind of remarkable actually in many ways. It doesn't happen more often, but, but it does happen. And these are really smart people with smart processes. Uh, um, what, what we try to emphasize with customers is, is probably deploy less and do it better. So the more stuff you add into your network, that means less likely that you're going to make sure that particular portion of your infrastructure is set up appropriately. Uh, most companies, if you have a good firewall, you have a good spam solution, a good web filtering solution, and a good endpoint solution. There's a few isolated cases where you might want to add more, but if you configure those things and then segmented your network appropriately and had a good backup strategy, and you did that well and patched, you're, you're there. But the hard part is patching is not sexy. It's so much more fun as a security engineer to go, ooh, this new widget. Let's go buy that thing and pop it in the network. You know, it's like uh, rather than standing up and saying, well, I'm going to go patch another 50 window systems today. How exciting. So but that's that's what we try to emphasize with customers. And part of the service that we're delivering is we're not just monitoring what they're doing, but we're actually trying to guide them. They, like, hey, pay attention to those fundamentals because that's how you're going to get blown up. Yeah, no, I, I think that's it's interesting perspective to you know, you know, don't try to bite off too much at one time, and and try to utilize the tools that you have already effectively, right? Yeah. Um. And 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 you you mentioned you know it's all this has kind of been good for business. I got to imagine you know like security was already difficult. Um. Then the pandemic hits, and all of a sudden we've got everybody working from home. People are putting things in SaaS applications. People are moving things to the cloud. We got this huge distributed um, infrastructure and just a massively expanded attack surface, right? Um, and then you know you, you throw all that in, then you get the solar winds breach, and you had to you have to have some people just like kind of throw up their hands and go, I, "We just can't, we can't do this." You know, I, I don't know what to do. My, my team missed all this. We're, we're having all these issues. Like, wh you know, what do I do? I mean, I mean, you must have seen a huge uptick of business from that, right? Yeah, the pandemic, you know, silver lining, I wouldn't wish it on, you know, yeah. society in general, but silver lining is the, just for all the reasons you highlight, remote workforce, moving to cloud. People being able to work remotely and do it securely and safely and, people, you know, moving, you know, your infrastructure to the cloud. Those were trends that were underway pre-pandemic. Pandemic just kind of, put an afterburner on it and <laughs> right. accelerated us in that direction. So yeah, I, in general, the pandemic has been an accelerator to our business uh, with some exceptions, clearly uh, travel, 
uh, retail in certain cases, uh, things like that. Those customers are, you know, they're in pure survival mode. So it's not clear they're doing anything. But other than that, and almost all the other industries, uh, yeah, it's been a general accelerator for our business. The hard part is there. I think everybody's starting to realize that it's not tech alone to solve the problem. I need I need people to do this appropriately. And yes, I can be smart about automation. I can be smart about AI and machine learning and all these fancy words they throw out. But in the end, people are the way you get breached and people are the way you protect yourselves. And using them in a good and proper manner is is the answer for a lot of these people. Yeah, I, but my sympathies are, I, you know, if I was running a company, it's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare for any size company. It doesn't matter how big you are, 10 people, 10,000 people. It's, yeah. you, you have the same security issues. It's kind of frightening for those smaller organizations, especially. Well, I, I, in, I want to loop back to something you said a little bit earlier about, you know, sort of the venture-backed, you know, services company that you are, um, which is kind of a, an unusual animal, right? I mean, because I've, you know, I've typically, you know, venture companies like, you know, gear and they like, you know, SaaS and they like those types of things. Um, but we did see a, 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 a trend that was really interesting. I think a lot of VCs invested in a lot of technologies, but they didn't see the return on some of those technologies because there was an enablement gap, right? They didn't have the people to, uh, there weren't people out there to implement in some of these technologies. And we saw a little bit of a pivot, you know, maybe end of 2019, you know, early 2020, where we started seeing, you know, more investment in, in, in kind of a services-based company, which is was kind of an unusual move for them. But I understood where they were going with it because, they, you know, in order to make the rest of it go, you kind of had the people to do it. Um, and, and so it, it made a lot of sense. You guys have had... Uh, ton of success in the venture side i mean from what i'm you know reading out in the the world you've raised roughly a 350 million i don't know if that's accurate right um, that is accurate yeah i mean that's a big chunk of change for for you guys to to raise i mean could you speak to a little bit about what it was like being a services company and 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 trying to go that route yeah I, it's it's interesting because you're right today we're it, it were kind of viewed in favor yeah. uh, in the sense that people are recognizing for all the reasons you highlighted, there's a more, more critical reason in the area that we uh, provide a capability is that it's very difficult. If you think about kind of the technology you need to invest and build, and we do a lot of that technology investment build uh, and the people that you have to hire and train and, and work effectively, uh, how do you blend those two things together? And what you realize because the threat landscape like we didn't know or think about a solar winds attack six months ago. Right. Uh, so now that all of a sudden, boom, there was a big change and the threat landscape shifted. Uh, what you realize is that the the work activity that goes on for a company like us will move between tech and people all the time. And so splitting them out, uh, you can't adapt fast enough. And this is part of what we we have an advantage over a lot of companies is that is that we will, in most cases, respond to things that happen immediately with people. And then we start looking at how we can tech enable it and make it work more efficiently. So um, and that's what made us a little bit, I, I think ultimately what it's going to end up being a new category of a service company where the tech and people aspect of it blend and, and evolve and change all the time. Our early history, it was difficult to raise money. Yeah. I've done uh, several startups prior to this and uh, I would go out and I look at kind of the B, C and D rounds. So when I did the series E in October, the, the switch flipped. Everybody kind of got the formula that we're talking about. 
And now you, they couldn't give you enough money. So I, I, but I don't want to pretend like it was easy up to that point because prior to that point, uh, I would go out and talk to venture capitalists and I've talked to probably over a hundred over the course of those rounds. And I go and give them a pitch. And first of all, our, our first thing is we're selling to small business. And so they're like, strike one. <laughs> we don't like to invest venture money into companies that sell a small business. Uh, they either wanted consumer or they wanted large enterprise. Right. Uh, so the second thing was you're a services company strike too. And I'm like, uh Oh, and so it was hard. Like the first, uh, you know, five, six years of the company when we did the ABC and D a wasn't hard just because on reputation, I'd been successful before we ever raised the money, but in the later ones, they look at it and go, uh, don't I struggle because services and, and companies that sell a small business, I don't have a good track record. Uh, but I think you're right. I think especially cybersecurity in general, I think you'll see some other industries that fall in this mode where you need people um, and you need tech. And if you uh, don't control both and the boundary between what you're doing in the tech versus what you're doing, the people moves all the time, that, that requires you to be a different type of services company. And that's that's effectively <laughs> what I think we've we've really started to understand. And the solar winds attack was a good example. Yeah. We did a lot of manual work for our customers with people because we didn't have the automation in the way that they were dealing with it. Now we've gone back and started to add some of that automation. So if something like that happens again, we can be more efficient. But for our customers that, yeah, it might be a person doing work manually that solves the problem. And then, or it might be a machine that flagged it and you don't know. And the threat landscape shifts and changes all the time. That's the thing. But yeah, the fundraising dynamic was really, really hard. And all of a sudden now has gotten a lot, lot easier um, in what we're doing here. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned the people equation and um, <clears throat> I think, you know, I remember you guys from when you were younger company out and you had like that office in Palo Alto and there were a whole bunch of other startups all right, right in that building with you. Yeah. Um, but uh, you've recently moved to Minneapolis, right? Or, or, or a bulk of your operations are now in Minneapolis. Uh, from yep. what I understand. And, and, what I've also seen is that um, you've had a stream of, of really talented and qualified people going to your company. And that's, that's one of the things that like gets a, gets on our radar very quickly. When we see really good people going somewhere um, that says something for us. And it's, and it's, it's an interesting story because, you know, typically, you know, somebody who's looking for security people would be kind of going out to the valley to find, you know, the, the mother load of all the people out there. But you're kind of doing the opposite thing and having seemingly almost more success with it. And, and, and you know, Sundar, I don't know if you want to jump in on this, too, but um, that's a really uh, compelling thing for us. I mean, there must be some interesting cultural things and, and, and interesting dynamics going on there. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Yeah, we, well, it started right from the beginning. My co-founder... Um, we worked together at Blue Coat when I was the CEO and she ran engineering for me. Uh, when we started the company, we decided to not do engineering in the Valley, uh, uh, specifically because the turnover rate was too high. It's just really hard to retain and hold engineers. Yeah. Um, they're talented. Don't get me wrong. There are a lot of very talented engineers in the Valley and a lot of smart subject matter expertise. But we build our engineering in Waterloo, Ontario, Southern Ontario and Canada. And it's... Um, it has a great university environment. It's a great startup environment. Uh, the turnover there is like 3% annually. That's a bad year for us in turnover. <laughs> uh, and so uh, that that kind of helped set that up. When we originally started, we did a lot of sales and marketing in the Valley. Uh, ultimately, I ended up hiring a leader out of Minnesota. And 
I found time and again, if you are the right leader, they, the talent flocks to them. And so it's, uh, when you hire the wrong leader, it's always seems to be kind of harder than it needs to be to become that successful, you know, recruiter. Uh, but I hired a leader out of Minneapolis. Uh, and so right now, today, most of our R&D is in Waterloo, Ontario, and most of our sales and marketing is in Minneapolis. We have a security center in Utah. We have one in San Antonio, Texas, and then we have one in, in Waterloo as well. Um, for us, it, it kind of goes to, it was, a, it was a painful thing to start, but once the pandemic hit, we were already used to working remotely. So it was just, well, let's just jump to the end point. Everybody works remotely and yeah. go from there. But yeah, it's, it, it's been, for me, uh, I think, uh, enlightening. Don't get me wrong. The, the Valley has an amazing ecosystem. Yeah. So the venture people that are there, all of the kind of uh, consultants and support infrastructure and banking. Uh, and so, you know, me being from the Valley, living, even if we're not doing a lot of stuff there, I still leverage that ecosystem. Right. I, I see other geographies sometimes saying, well, just like the Valley. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you know, uh, I think it worked because just, I'm, I have a lot of connections. We have, my CFO has a lot of connections. We're, we're well plugged into the Valley dynamic, yeah. uh, but we can leverage the talent and capabilities around the world and what we're doing. And so, yeah, nothing against the Valley, uh, just worked out in this particular case that given the people I started with and where I hired them, that's where they're located. Yeah. So to that point, Brian, I mean, you've, uh, I'm looking at your resume and it looks like you've, you've been in a lot of these product companies like Blue Coat, uh, now leading a services organization. What, what makes you, what makes it different? You know, uh, how does the culture change in a services based model versus a product model? Yeah, I'd say the, the, the motion you have when a customer buys from you just in the end ends up being very different. So uh, when you buy a product, uh, whether it's SaaS or a box or something like that, you, you've got to invest in so the customer can get it installed and get it working properly, but then you're done. It kind of works and you don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's like when you buy a car, you know, there's all this work up front about getting it all in and getting organized and they show you how to use all the tools and then they're out and you hold the car for four or five years and come back around. And, you know, there's a service element that comes there. If you have maintenance problems, you want to be good and respond to that. The difference in a real services company is that every day you have to reprove yourself. So you could do a great job for the last year and we wake up tomorrow morning and do a bad job. We're in a lot of trouble. So it's, you don't, it, it this requires a discipline and a recognition that the job just never ends. And so that's kind of hard to get over in, in what you're doing as you understand that model. So there's a lot more emphasis in building, uh, building internal infrastructure, understand where the work is going on, that it is getting done appropriately, is it happening at the level we want, um, and are we delivering the service the customer wants? Uh, and that, you know, clearly you got to hire the right kind of people, but you also have to put some infrastructure in to kind of track and measure that activity um, so that we can make sure it's getting done appropriately. Yeah. Yeah, we, we have found in our experiences, um, services is hard to sell because um, it is a... Uh, you know, you're trying to tell the customer that, hey, we think we can do it better than you. But I think that is where the value currently is, you know. Um, and I also think it's hard to build a culture around that because even us for our services, you know, delivering a service, like you said, every single day, you can do something well for, you know, many, many months. And then that one, that one, 
the one thing that you just yep. made a bad, you know, you a bad mistake, and all of a sudden the customer's like, "Well, not going to do business with you anymore," you know. So it's uh, and it's so I, I admire the fact that you only have a three percent uh, turnover rate. That's that's amazing, uh, especially yeah. being in that kind of uh, world. Well, I, we have a. What's interesting from a security engineer standpoint is when you think about the job of a security engineer at a corporation. Um, they do less than 30% security work. So they're actually doing non-security. So they're they're installing the SEM, they're upgrading the SEM, they're mm-hmm. adding the log data, they're configuring, they're doing all these IT tasks uh, and patching and maintaining and curating the logs and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it, for our security engineers, when they come here, that all that work disappears. Our development group, our DevOps group, our release maintenance group, that is all taken care of for them. So when they come in to do work, they're doing security, 100%. Uh, and that that motivates them. And we, we invest and we realize that part of what we want to do is because of the threat landscape shifts and changes, they have to, we have to hire, but we also have to enable people that want to learn all the time. Mm. They, there's new things to do. So they need to be excited. And we do, we pay for everybody. Can, you know, there's two weeks of training for all the security engineers every, every year. They do a lot of self case learning on their own. And we, we're excited when they do that. We recognize them, we promote them in that regard and, and get them excited with it. But um, that's that aspect makes it a more attractive place for a lot of security engineers is all the normal prop. If you're a security engineer at a Fortune 500 company, I guarantee you're spending way less than half of your time actually doing the security work. Our security engineers are probably closer to 80%. Right. We still have meetings they have to go to and some overhead sure. they have to attend to. But but uh, uh, but we try to minimize that. And then the, the thing they like in addition to that is if they they have they need something to exist in the technology, they don't have to go through four levels to talk to the engineer that's doing the development. They can walk down the hall. They used to be able to walk down the hall <laughs> and go tell them this is exactly what I need. And can you have this and, and do it? And so you you have this very tight circle and we can innovate and deliver enhancements to our product much, much faster than anybody that's a pure product company. Because for a pure product company, security engineer talks to a sales engineer that talks to a customer success, that talks to a product manager, and then talks to the manager in engineering that actually eventually makes it to the person that does the work. Now that's five, six levels removed from the person that wants, the person that can deliver. Mm. In our particular case, that just those two connect. and. I, I see it on our internal chat channels all the time. Uh, oh, such and such just whipped out this one-off feature for it. Welcome to this. This saves me like four hours a day. And I'm like, oh, okay. And that that cruft, as we call it, for the security engineers and removing and constantly paying attention to that, you get a lot more leverage out of them, but you also get, they get a much better job satisfaction. So we that's that there isn't just simply services, but their life, the life of the security engineer at Arctic Wolf is dramatically better than any other place in the world. Mm. And the ones that see and experience that, they love it. Yeah, I, that that the 30% statistic is, is I, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but that is, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, they spend a whole lot of their time doing other stuff. And I could see, you know, as a security person coming in and just doing the thing you love to do, you know, all, pretty much all the time, you know, is a real advantage. Yeah. And they're with a bunch of peers, you know, they... We, we have more than 100, so I think it's up close to 150 security engineers. They they talk a different language. They like different <laughs> stuff. And so it's their little community. You know, I'm not even in that community. You know, I sit at the fringe, you know, like the, 
the poor little person hoping they'll pay attention to me. You know, the security engineer is talking about their cool stuff that they saw here or that or this tool. So, you know, I, I'm not even part of the cool crowd here from the standpoint of the security people. So, yeah. so, you know, so they tolerate me. Yeah. They tolerate me. Security engineers are, are a, an interesting breed. Um, they are. So, so tell me, tell me a little bit more about Arctic Wolf. Um, tell me, you know, like kind of where you see your, you know, your key market and, you know, like what's your sort of key use case and, and, and where, where do you guys fit into the big scheme of things? Yeah, broadly speaking, the, I'll tell you a little bit about kind of where we started and then where I think we're, we're going to ultimately end up. So we yeah. started in what the world now knows as managed detection response. And so the, we called it, we didn't call it that originally, we called it continuous monitoring. And the, the idea is you buy all these things, put them in your network to protect you, you configure them and get them set up. And then um, they, uh, on top of that, they, uh, you then wake up and act schizophrenic and from the standpoint of assuming that none of that's working for you. So the job of monitoring your infrastructure and understanding where it's not doing it uh, is what we did. And that was, that's really was our main original product. Since then, we've started to realize that that's not the only element that companies are struggling with in the broader arena of security operations. Like in other words, how do I do and prioritize the work in my environment? And then what kind of tools do I need? And what kind of people do I need? And, and then if they are able to figure that out, what they can't figure out, well, can I then hire those people and get them and make them productive and do all the things that you do it? And so our current view is to fit around whatever you have in place. So you're an organization and you have a different amount of IT expertise. You have a different amount of risk profile. You have a different um, uh, kind of security view of the world. And basically we've built an infrastructure that allows us to customize it so that each customer, if you're secure light, great, we'll work with you. If you're secure heavy, we'll work with you. And a simple example would be, we have a lot of customers that just want us to tell them about a problem and how to fix it. They don't care how it happened, what they, they just tell me what it is and tell me how to fix it. And then we have some that are very security sensitive and they not only do want to know about the problem, but how did it happen? Can you give me the data? I want to look at it. And, and those customers are handled uh, in the same infrastructure in the same way because we built it to be flexible. And this is part of that toolkit that we give the security engineers uh, to do it. But our real goal uh, today is now addressing what we call the cyber risk problem broadly. And, and you do that um, through a properly built security operations function. And what we want to do is augment the security operations capability that an organization needs we can fill in all the gaps in where you don't have stuff or you don't things or you don't have the talent or the discipline or the money. Uh, and in, in almost every area where we do provide capability in that security operation umbrella, we can do it better and cheaper than they can. And we show that because I, I would say now today, 75% of our business comes from taking out something the customer was doing themselves. Hmm. They know that we, we don't have to convince them that they, they don't want to do it. They know they're begging somebody else to come do it for them. So it's, that's the emphasis of the business. And so, you know, we want to help customers and we talk about it internally in, on their security journey. Like they, there's not a destination, you're never going to arrive. So just like my arms off the camera, you know, <laughs> the end point is kind of undefined here. Uh, and so we, we help one, help them characterize and know that they're working okay, that everything's okay. And then two, guide them in their journey and work with them as a partner and in, in where they're going. And those are all part of our, native uh, service that they're getting. And, 
And, and they're excited about that. A big part of the value proposition, they don't know what they don't know. So over, I would say almost half of our work is inbound requests where they come to us and they say, I think I'm compromised. I think I'm breached. And then we can quickly look at it and go, no, you're okay. Like, so we, we help even in some cases, we just help eliminate the false concerns that they have about what's going on. Users will call up and say, I typed into a website, I'm compromised. And, and then we can look and say, no, you know, you probably shouldn't have gone to that website. There was some risk there, but nothing really happened in the end. So it's, yeah, bring certainty, bring knowledge, you know, and the goal is help them measure and assess, assess and then ultimately end cyber risk. Well, and you, you know, you, you, you talk about sort of the markets you're going after, which is kind of more that SMB, you know, slice of the, the pie, where I got to imagine there's really tremendous need. And, and the other thing that's interesting about it, whereas, you know, you talk about venture capitalists um, being not so more interested in the enterprise space, but the, the, the market you're trying to address is huge with tremendous yeah, need. Well, we started down market. Uh, we've expanded now. We're, we're closing business now with five, six, seven, 8,000 employee organizations. So we, we're getting a lot of business uh, with upmarket as well. We still handle a lot of small customers. We actually segment our service delivery into four sizes. So because the, the nature of the kind of problems and the challenges they have are, are quite a bit different. Um, uh, but so it's, you know, our expansion strategy to date, we're currently today only selling in North America uh, is, but it's our growth strategy has been by expanding up market. So we, and we're going to continue to do so. I think three, four years from now, I don't think there's a single uh, or, uh, organizations of any size will be capable of handling and working with them. Um, and we start our international expansion this year. We're starting to move into Europe and, and some other areas. So that's how we're going to maintain the growth strategy that we've, we've been in the pace that we've been working to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, going up markets an interesting uh, prospect too. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people when they think, well, managed security service, well, you, you go look at these enterprise organizations, they're going to have a security team. They're going to have a CISO. They're going to have all this stuff. But the reality is they face the same problems everybody else is facing. It, you know, like acquiring talent is really hard. And yeah. as the, as the threat landscape gets bigger and, you know, more complicated, it's it's very hard to build a security organization when that's not the core competency of most businesses, right? Yeah, and, and given the turnover in that industry, you know, so say you did need a team of four or five people doing the work that we're doing. So you have, if you have four people and lose one, all of a sudden 25% of your capacity is gone. And if you're only got two or three and you lose one or you got two, you can imagine the scenario. And this is what happens to a lot of companies. They get something up and running and then, Somebody quits and goes somewhere else, and then now they're kind of back to square one. And I think they, both from that reason as well as just the ability to recruit or even afford to do what they want to do, have all been motivating factors. And then you have the pandemic and move into the cloud or move into remote and the solar winds attack. You know, I mean, on one dimension, I'm horrified. You know, from a as a you know a person of the world, and at the same time as a business person, I'm looking and go, okay, there's going to be a lot more people coming our way. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I and I think you know, in smaller organizations too, it's hard to sort of allocate your talent effectively, right? And you, you you're spending a lot of money on them, and then I, I find a lot of them end up like you do say, you know, installing servers and you know doing a lot of you know grunt work, uh, which which isn't really the, the best way to to utilize their talent. Um, so like having having the ability to have somebody kind of come in and 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 solve for some of those problems for you is is very appealing, I would imagine. Yeah, the, the, our, our real goal is, is to bring confidence 
to what they're doing in security. So it's how exactly we do that. We make it really easy to deploy. We make it easy to get in there. We bring the right talent. We help them understand it. Um, we are we generally the the pricing model we have uh, is based on the number of users and servers in their environment. And so we don't charge people by log volume, which is what's been the norm in the industry. Mm. We're only able to do that because of the tech stack and the way we can do that. Um, what that does for a customer um, is lets them know that, hey, if you've got good data and we want it, we'll ask for it. And we'll even highlight to the customer. You're not sending us this data. And as a result, we're not going to be as good at what you want us to do. Uh, so send it to us. And there's no reason not to because we're not going to charge you for it. We want you to send us the data. And that's been a big area of things on that front. Yeah, I think you bring a really interesting perspective to this because we we ha have a, a tendency to talk about enterprise security solutions, even though they're very point solutions. Um, and it and it's I I think you know like broadening that picture and and looking at other ways to solve the problem when you know we talk about you know policies and procedures and people uh, as being you know one of the biggest challenges to solve that nobody else is kind of addressing it's it's uh it's really interesting to see a company like yours with the resources and the backing that you have um tackling that that challenge and then going up market i think is uh really an interesting thing and i see why there's a lot of people heading over towards your company lately <laughs> well we're excited about it yeah well you should you should be um well i think the, the funny thing i would leave you with is uh Look, 15 years ago, I go to a cocktail party and they ask what you do and you say cybersecurity and they're like, I'm going to move to the next person. And now when you go to a cocktail party and you say cyber, oh, really? Uh, it's either one of two things. Can you fix my computer? Or And so, so I've, somehow I've moved into the cool kid crowd and I don't really know how, but it's something the world changed. So. Yeah, well, just run with it, man. Run with it while you can. That's it. Absolutely. Us in tech, we got to take our moments while they come, right? They're, they're few and far between. Well, Brian, I, I so appreciate you coming on telling us uh, about the Arctic Wolf story. And uh, it's great to watch you. It's great to see you guys grow. And I wish you the best uh, going forward. Thank you. Pleasure being Thanks, here. Thanks, Brian. Thanks so much. Thanks for watching. If you like what you saw, click that like button, hit that subscribe button because that helps the channel a ton. And if you want to get notified when we post new content, click on that bell icon and you will get notified. And I will see you in the next video.